Well, the book of Ephesians is all about describing what the church is. I thought that was an interesting little video to kind of contrast some of the ways that people view churches. And one of the most common ways nowadays, especially in America, is we see it as a cruise ship. You know, it's just a place to come and be comfortable and how well we are uh, uh, pleased by what happens and all those things. And we want you to be comfortable and all of that. But don't you think it's a little better illustration to say it? It ought to be more like a battleship, and, and there ought to be things that we're, we're, on, we're on a mission, and it's not all about how comfortable we are, and, uh, uh, but uh, the, the book of Ephesians kind of draws us uh, to see the true nature of the church. In his book, J.D. Greer uh, talks about the fact that really the battleship may not be the best illustration of what a church looks like. We've been talking about this as a staff. And I think this ship right here is probably a better vision for what the church ought to be. You know what kind of ship that is? That is an aircraft carrier. I, because I was going to show that picture and talk about it a little bit, I did a little bit of research on aircraft carriers, and I know many of you know more than me. But what I discovered is what, that really the aircraft carriers are what set us apart from all the other militaries in the world. I mean, there are militaries that have lots of nuclear weapons, and there are militaries with more tanks uh, than we have, a couple of militaries, more tanks, more manpower. But what puts us far and above the greatest military might on the planet is, is our 10 or 11 carriers that we have. Uh, they are uh, unbelievable pieces of machinery. And here's what the carriers do. The carriers take our power and they project it out. That those acres of asphalt or concrete, whatever it is on top of that platform, that actually is the equivalent of American soil. And they take it and they put it out and they project America's military might into places all around the world. And from that ship, they don't just shoot guns. What do they do? They send. They send and what we're going to be seeing as we move through the book of Ephesians is that we're not just a, a, a church that kind of stays behind our armor and criticizes and shoots at down things. We are to be a sending organization. We're to be a place where you come and you land here on Sunday morning and you get refueled and you re-up and you get some maintenance, right? But then you, you go back to on mission. And so the church, I think, is better described as a as an aircraft carrier. How sad would it be? How sad would it be, however, if those pilots and those soldiers were standing on the platform of that tremendous piece of machinery with all of the backing and might and wealth of the United States of America and they were cowering in fear? I can almost guarantee you there aren't any sailors on that ship afraid. I bet I can almost guarantee you there aren't too many soldiers flying the greatest, uh, the greatest planes in the world and landing on that ship that are, that are really, really worried that they don't have the full backing of the United States of America. I, we just can't even imagine someone with that kind of power behind them, that kind of might, that kind of technology worrying, cowering hiding down somewhere deep in the ship. And yet, and yet, 
What has motivated this series in my heart is that I see that as the tendency of the church. The tendency of, of the church and of Christians as the culture gets more difficult, as we see battles looming on the horizon for us, as we are bombarded with ideas and thoughts and types of attacks, as we see that, what I, what I see are worried Christians. And what the Apostle Paul is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit is absolutely what you and I need to hear today. Here's what he's talking to. He's talking to a group of Christians that are in the city of Ephesus. And these Ephesians are facing cultural turmoil, wickedness, magic, demonic possession, the great temple of Artemis, uh, a guild of idol makers that controls the city. They're facing much more than you or I are facing today. And I want you to hear what the Apostle Paul writes to them. Here's what he says. I'm gonna tell you that you are the body of Christ and that the rule of the universe is the head of the church. And I'm gonna tell you in these next few verses what you need to see. I want you to see that you have the full might and power and majestic authority of the God of the universe working in you, working around you, working through you, working for you. I think the Lord would look at his church in America, he would say, why do you shake? Why, what is it that you fear? When we look at those aircraft carriers, we see the power of America projected. The church of Jesus Christ is the power of God projected into this world. We are a sent force. We are a supreme force. And we are a safe force. We're sent. We are supreme and we are safe. And you say, how can you say that, Pastor? Well, we're going to read it together this morning. All of us are on board. If you're a believer, if you're a follower of Christ, you're on board. You are in the body of Christ. You are in the church. And if you are on board, you are on mission. And some of you have short-term missions. Some of us have missions mainly on the ship where we're equipping. Some of you, and we send them out, have long-term, long-run missions, but all of us are sent. And what Paul wants us to see is as we're going, we need to be knowing. If we're gonna be powerful in our going, we need to be very powerful in our knowing. Let me show you what he says here in verse 15. For this reason... Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. Now, let me just pause right there. That sounds pretty good. I mean, I'd be really happy if everyone in here had faith in Jesus Christ and love for all the saints. Wouldn't you be happy? I mean, that's what we want. We want people to come to faith in Christ and to love one another. I mean, the Bible teaches that. What more do we need than that? Isn't it interesting that the Apostle Paul is celebrating that they have faith in Christ, they have love for one another, and then he begins a long prayer for something they may not have. 
and something we desperately must have. Listen to what he prays for. He says, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. And here's what I pray, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, will give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him. I know you ladies here studying Colossians with my wife in precept have been looking at this word, knowledge, epinosis. It is a deep experiential knowledge. One commentator defines it as knowledge which very powerfully influences the form of your life. A knowledge laying claim to personal involvement. He says, I'm praying that you just won't know about God, that you won't just have a faith in Christ, but that you will know him experientially. You will have a growing knowledge and wisdom of him. And here's what's going to happen, verse 18. You will have the eyes of your hearts enlightened. You mean you can be saved and not know everything that really comes with being saved. Absolutely. You are on board the most powerful thing in the universe, the church of Jesus Christ, and you may not be living like that. You may not be living in the truth and the understanding of that. People, if we're going to be powerful in our going, we've got to be powerful in our knowing. And he says, I pray that, that God will just help you see who you are because you have to see who you are to be who you are. He says, I pray you'll have the eyes of your heart enlightened so that you'll know three key things. Three key things. Look what he says. That you may know what is the hope that he has called you to, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. Let me break those things down for you real quickly. The first thing that we have to recognize so that we understand who we are in Christ, who is behind us and in us in this battle, that we are undergirded, supported, surrounded by the most powerful thing in the universe, that you and I are a part of the body of Christ. And Paul is praying. He says, I know you got faith, Gainesville. I know you got, I know you got love, Westside. You're a loving church and you're a faith-filled church, but I want you to know fully, experientially, deeply in a way that it just calls you out into faith-filled, joy-filled service. I want you to, I'm praying that you'll understand this. And folks, I've been praying this for myself. I'm praying this for our church so that we don't just worship as normal people might worship that we won't just go as normal people might go, but that we'll have a deep-seated, deep-seated, deeply rooted confidence and courage, not in our own strength, but the strength that inhabits us, that holds us, and that sends us. And so we need to look at this deeply, clearly. He says, I want you to recognize, first of all, the hope and, and I, I phrase it like this, to recognize what God has in store for you. If you know what is ahead of you and God has reserved that for you, it can release uh, you into more effective service. And this hope is not really, I, I just hope so, I hope so. 
I'll talk to a lot of people and I'll say, do you know if you're going to heaven? And they'll say, well, I sure hope so. No, this hope is a deep-seated confidence. It's an assurance of things hoped for. And you know that Christ, through his resurrection and through his ascension and through his promises, is preparing a place for you that lasts forever and ever and ever and ever. It's uh, not of this world, but it is going to be a new heaven and a new earth, and it is, it is what is uh, promised to you, and we are tasting of it and living in the power of it right now, but we have that hope ahead of us. And so we realize that the ultimate conquest and battle has been won, and so we have this great hope that God has in store for you. But I want you to look at that second phrase. And I have glossed over this, uh, not glossed over it, but I've just kind of sped over it many, many times without really catching the significance of this phrase. It says, I pray that you'll see and recognize what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And here's what the word formation means, is that this is not talking about an inheritance we get from God. It's talking about the inheritance God gets from with us. The rich inheritance of this verse, the rich inheritance is being enjoyed by God, and the rich inheritance that He's protecting is us. Never thought about myself as an inheritance for anybody except my five children who are going to have to take care of me. Right? Here I am. <laughs> He saved me, and when God looks at me, and when he looks at you as a follower of Christ, because you're in Christ, he sees you as a rich inheritance for himself. What a thought. He's going to protect his people. He's going to preserve your soul. Forever and ever, you will be a glorious, rich inheritance for the God of the universe. This is an amazing truth that God would look on you and I as an inheritance. Why would he think of you as special enough to want to inherit you? Here's why. His son died for you. His son died for you. You receive that by faith. He is looking at Christ. He sees you as Christ's body. And he is going to... It's amazing what happened at the cross. When Christ died on the cross, we received God. When Christ died on the cross, God also received us. What an amazing, amazing truth. Old Donald Trump, you know, whenever he buys something, a building, what does he do? Trump. (laughs) Trump Tower, Trump Plaza. He puts his name on it, right? When Christ bought you, what did God do? Mine. 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 I bought it. Now look at the third thing. This is just awesome. 
He says, we need you to recognize, and I'm praying that you will not just recognize what God has in store for you, what he, that he's keeping you in store for himself, but he says, I am praying that you'll understand the full measure of his incomparable power that is at work in your life. He wants us to recognize how God is working in us right now. It's not just the power that saved us. It is the power that is currently, continuously saving us and working in us and working through us. Look at this verse. I mean, I think uh, the Holy Spirit just went overboard on this verse, really. Look at verse 19. There are so many words for power in this verse. And there are so many adjectives enhancing the words for power in this verse. You get the idea. The Holy Spirit wants you to see yourself as filled with the power of God, the full measure of his working power. Look at what it says. And, and I want you to see and recognize what is the immeasurable greatness, the immeasurable greatness. The Greek words are awesome. Immeasurable hyperbole is where we get the word hyperbole, to throw beyond. We just can't even measure it. It's exceeding, surpassing. The word greatness, megathos, don't you like that word? His exceeding, immeasurable, megathos power, he says, it is, it is working towards you. And the word power is dunamis, which is intrinsic power, but not just strength and power, but the ability to use it. The ability to affect that power in your life. He says, I want you to know, church, as you face the ups and downs of the Dow Jones, as you face the Democrats and the Republicans, as you face the elections, as you face the schools, and you face your jobs, and you face the challenges of your children and your marriage, as you face the things in life, as you face the, the demonic, as you face the temptations, as you face all the struggles of life, as you face cancer and disabilities and disease, as you face all of that, he says, I just pray you won't forget that you'll see more than you've ever seen the immeasurable ability and greatness of God that is working where? The word there is toward you, toward you. And he describes us. He says, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who are excellent, toward us who got our act together, to those of us who have a seminary degree, to those of us who what, church? And the words in the continual sense, who are continually in that uh, saved state, that you're believing. How many of you believe in Jesus Christ? You're a believing person. Raise your hand. All right. Man, I, I tell you, if you're a believing person, this verse applies. May you see, soldiers, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward you who are believing. And look, it keeps on going according to the working of his great might. <laughs> it just goes on and on. If you want to know what kind of might that is at work in you, he describes it even further. Look at verse 20. It's this kind of strength. It is the same sort of energizing uh, power that he worked in Christ when he did what? Raised Jesus from the dead. Resurrection power is at work in you right now. It's not going to just be on the day he resurrects you from the dead. That same power is at work in you today. 
The same kind of power that resurrected Jesus from the dead, the same kind of power that, look at the second part of this verse, seated him at the right hand in the heavenly places. That same kind of power. He describes it even more in verse 21. Look at this. Verse 21, this power that is at work in us is far above all rule and authority and power and dominion. Did Paul leave anything out? He said far above all rule, all authority, all power, all dominion. And above every name that is named. He says in case you just are concerned... It includes the age we're currently in and the age that is to come. Christ has been seated at the right hand of the Father. Now, the, the, uh, the folks of that day would have been for, more familiar with that picture because if the emperor, the king, had a conquering hero, a conquering general that would go out and win the battle and defeat the enemy and would come back to the, to the uh, city carrying the spoils of the enemy and the captured people of the enemy. Uh, The king would celebrate him and exalt him and crown him. And where do you think he would let that conquering hero sit? At the right hand. That same authority is at work toward us, at work in us. The power that opened blind eyes It's the same power that conquered our rebellious wills. The same power that created a new heart in me and a new heart in you. You may not think that's much of a big deal. According to the Bible, it resurrected you from spiritual death to spiritual life. It's a miracle that you can know God And have a relationship with God is nothing less than a universal miracle on the the power and magnitude of resurrecting Jesus from the dead. That same power is preserving you, preserving your soul. Only when we get to heaven will we fully comprehend how the power of God even today is protecting us from the demonic, protecting us from temptation, protecting us from, from things that we would want to do and could potentially do, but he's given us new life and he is holding us in his hands and yet we just sometimes act like God's not even here. We act like we don't have any joy. And so we just consume the world or we complain about the world and we criticize and we do all those things and we may be justified in our criticism and we may be justified sometimes in our complaining and all of those kind of things, but but the stance of someone on the top of the aircraft carrier of the church of God ought to be one of courage and confidence think about who's writing this a man who is in prison you say that just seems strange why is he so confident because he knows what sometimes we forget that Jesus said I've got your soul and I've got your life and it's guaranteed forever and ever and here's the Holy Spirit as a promise but I never told you you wouldn't face suffering in this world 
In fact, now who do you think you are when your Savior Master suffered, all the apostles suffered, were martyred for their faith? The common life of the majority of believers for the last 2,000 years has been a life of suffering and persecution. Who are we to complain? Because it doesn't have anything to do with that. He is at work in you for far bigger purposes. Can I show you one of those purposes? In Ephesians 3.20. Now this, in Ephesians 3.20, he says, Now him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power that works within us. He is doing something powerful for us. And in verse 10 of chapter 3, he's doing it so that through the church, the sent, safe, supreme church, the manifold wisdom of God might be known to the rulers and authorities where? In the heavenly places. We forget there's a whole big battle going on. There's a whole deal going on behind the scenes. And you and I are a testimony of God's power. And we are revealing to the spiritual authorities, the demonic authorities, uh, that we just really don't have a full comprehension of. We are demonstrating the majestic grace and power of God to the seen world and to the unseen world. And God's doing that in you and he's doing that through you. Now the people in Ephesus would have recognized this and wanted this kind of power because they were in such a spiritual type city. They had this huge temple of Artemis, one of the seven known wonders of the world. They had the idol-making guild and all the folks just making and producing all of the different idols for uh, Asia Minor. In the temple of Artemis was a statue of, of this goddess carved out of a meteorite that fell out from outer space. And so they thought it was magic. They thought it was from God. They thought it was from the heavenly places. And they were worshiping this rock that fell from the heavenly places. And Paul said, no, 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 no. Jesus is seated far above anything you can imagine on this earth. There's no spiritual authority that's above God. Paul the apostle, I mean, weak in the flesh, Paul the apostle, during his time in Ephesus, had some pretty unique things happen. I mean, God was working through his weakness and his his preaching he was working through him in powerful ways and it was working so powerfully that it talks about the fact that handkerchiefs and aprons that had touched his skin were carried away to the sick who had been praying to all those false gods and in the name of Christ they were healed uh, the evil spirits were fleeing people uh, in the presence of the of the gospel uh, centered preaching of the apostle Paul and then you know these Jewish exorcists. I love this story. The Jewish exorcists, there's seven of them came in. They were all the sons of Seba. And they came in and they saw Paul casting out all the demons. Even when Paul wasn't in there, the demons were, 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 were leaving. And they tried to cast out the demons. You remember what happened to them? I love that story. A man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on those guys 
mastered all of them and overpowered them. It looked like a, a, a cage match. I mean, took them all down to the mat, took them out. And they're like, what's the deal? And you know what the evil spirit said? The evil spirit said, you know, I recognize, I know Jesus. And Paul, I recognize, but who in the world are you? That is the power that is at work in you. And you say, well, is this power here? I want to be able to have that power to get wealth. And we see all sorts of false folks saying, I want that power to get wealth. I want that power so that whoever I touch gets healed. And, and, and they want to make a market out of that. That's not the point. The point of these miracles and the point of this passage is to let you know that God is at work in you. And he who began a good work in you is faithful to complete it. And he is at work in you both to want to and to be able to do what Ephesians says are good works created in Christ Jesus beforehand that you might do them. He is at work in you to turn you into that church, the body of Christ, to give us a courage. And here's what this courage does. This kind of courage and confidence in this power allows, allows us to fly out of here today and go on mission. It allows us to know that if we suffer, if we run into storms, if we run into trouble, we know that the most powerful being in the universe, the God of the universe, has us in the palm of his hands. It frees us up. It frees us up to do the work God has called us to do. It frees us up to be generous, to be generous, to not fearfully hold on to wealth and fearfully hold on to that. It frees us up you know, I'm, I'm worried that so many people will look at the political situation, they just give up. They say, there's nothing we can do. There's nothing we can do. It's over. Is that the posture we are to have? It's not over. <laughs> it's not over. Vote. Get out there and do what you are empowered to do. By God and by the government. Do that. And, and do you know that if a Republican takes office, God's still going to be in control? And do you know that if a Democrat takes office, God is still in control? You can have some concerns, but the countenance of a follower of the church of Jesus Christ really should never change. Our countenance, our calm, our courage is not based on what we see in the circumstances of our culture. And if we think that it is and we act like that, we bring shame really on the name of people who have gone before us and suffered so much and have just walked through their storms with, with such effectiveness and laid down their lives So he wants us to be able to see. I saw on TV this past week, I think an example of this, and I close with it. I hope this makes sense, but 
I was just impressed. I heard that Shaq was in town playing basketball with some kids. So I'm like, what's this all about? Then I found out that one of our Gainesville Police Department guys, you heard the story. All right, this, this police officer got a distress call from somebody that said these kids are playing basketball loudly. And uh, so he showed up and he made news across the nation because instead of wielding his power and coming out and be quiet, you know, and doing all those kind of things, he decided to engage them in a game of basketball. And Shaq heard about that and thought, you know, that's something I want to encourage. I want to encourage that use of force. I want to encourage that kind of goodwill. And it, let, me, let me read to you what one reporter, one reporter wrote. Bobby White became a social media sensation days ago when he responded to a noise complaint that a group of kids are playing basketball too loudly. Instead of being the overbearing tough guy cop that you expect to see in one of those viral videos, White becomes the greatest ambassador for law enforcement since Sheriff Andy Taylor. (laughs) We so seldom get to hear it or see it amid the daily barrage of noxious negativity, debilitating divisiveness, political partisanship, and racial rancor that litter our Facebook feeds and Twitter timelines. Sometimes we forget that police officers are not only out there protecting us from the bad guys, they're a bunch of good guys in the community as well. Maybe that's why Bobby White has struck such a chord with so many Americans, because he made us remember how it used to be when policemen were beloved instead of belittled. He took us back to those bygone days when kids trusted cops and cops trusted kids. I'm not so far how back that was, but when American author Tom Clark once wrote, I'm convinced that every boy in his heart would rather steal second base than an automobile. It's disappointing, but there are just some people who don't like the beautiful sounds of kids having fun, White said of the original noise complaint. To me, I love seeing kids outside having fun and not inside all day watching TV and playing video games. Amen. (laughs) I wanted to let these kids know that regardless of the complaint, that being out there playing basketball was absolutely okay and they didn't have to worry about the police shutting them down. And we're getting to the point I'm going to connect to us. Shaq came up and he played and he talks about this. He said the rest of the afternoon, Shaq, a bunch of cops and a bunch of kids played basketball. And before he left, Shaq gave each of the kids $100 a piece for making a free throw. <laughs> but I like this. He said, Bobby White gave them something much more valuable. He gave them a racial profile they will never forget. A white cop and black kids becoming allies instead of enemies. I thought that was beautifully said. He gave them a profile of a policeman. And here's what I want us as a church to do. Is, is the world is expecting the church during these cultural tumultuous times to present a particular image. They're expecting us to be critical. They're expecting us to point fingers. They're expecting us to condemn you really think that's how Jesus would handle the situation? 
We need to find ways of how we can connect our community and then give them a profile of Jesus. They will never forget. Love. Truth. Truth spoken in love. Sacrifice. Holding a hand out to help, to embrace. Now, some of you are probably thinking, this sounds like a social liberal talking. No. I'm not a social liberal. I'm not. But I must be a Jesus follower first. And he's looking at his church, the body of Christ, to act like the body of Christ with courage, conviction, compassion, confidence. Even if we start taking bullets, that's what he calls us to do. Because we've been sent. We're the supreme force in the universe, the church of Jesus Christ. And we're safe. So let's pray. Father, you know my prayers this week have been that it would just be so clearly seen that you would just help us to see who's in us, that you're at work through us. Father, we need to be a people of conviction. We need to be a people of truth, and we are. We're gonna proclaim the gospel till the end of time clearly. But God, I I pray that Gainesville, the employers, the teachers, the people around would be so excited to find out that they've hired or that they're working with or going to school with a Christian, especially a Christian from Westside. Because we're just living like Jesus. Help us to live like you. You saved us. You want to conform us to your image. May the viral videos of us be just of, of us loving and serving, teaching, preaching, singing, worshiping, and doing what the church of Jesus Christ does. Help us not to hide within these walls, but to live it. Live it Monday through Saturday out in our community. Help us to do that for your grace, for the praise of your name. And we thank you. We thank you for giving us that privilege. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to have a hymn of invitation, a song. We're going to sing together. It's an opportunity. Some of you have been preparing for this, and you're going to come now and let us know that you want to join our fellowship. We'd love to have you come and make that public this morning. Some of you need to be baptized And one of the ways that you demonstrate that is you come and one of our counselors will get you signed up for that if you want to be baptized. Maybe you've never trusted Christ as your Lord and your Savior. And you want to be part. And you want his power in your life. And you want him to powerfully save you and and give you eternal life. You come. One of our counselors will take you and pray with you. This is our time to respond. Let's stand and sing together.
amazing grace, how sweet the sound, amazing love, now flowing down from hands and feet that were nailed to a tree. His grace falls down and covers me. It covers me. It covers me. It covers me. It covers me.